It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's today's special guest, Philip Hartman. It's a powerful meditation. So let's just set our, our hearts for the Lord and prepare ourselves for this. Lord, we love you and we trust you. We thank you, Lord, for your word and the great consolation that it is to us, and the comfort that it is to us, and encouragement, and, and the joy and rejoicing that we have, because we believe it. We believe your word to be, or the Bible to be your word to us, the true and infallible word of God. And as a result, as we hear the word this morning, I pray that we would submit to it, that our lives would come into alignment with it, and that it wouldn't just be nice thoughts or nice ideas, but that we would receive it, as it is indeed the word of God. And that we would search the scriptures to see if these things are so. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, turn with me this morning to Judges. Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. So this morning, we're going to be talking about the name of God, Jehovah Shalom. And Shalom in, in, in Hebrew means peace. And so it's actually a, a greeting all throughout not only Israel, but the Middle East. Shalom, uh, in Ethiopia, they say Shalom, for example, in their language. A lot of different languages have some different uh, variation of this. For example, if you greet somebody in Arabic, it's Assalam Aleikum. Salam is, is peace. Um, but you have this idea of peace, and, and so we have Jehovah Shalom. Now remember, Jehovah is the, the revealed name of God. It means I am that I am. This is indicating the, the eternal existence of God, the infallibility of God, the unchangingness of God. That he is, he was, and he always will be. Uh, that, that as I like to say, 10 trillion years from now, he'll be no different than he is today, and he will be no older than he is today. 10 trillion years before now, he was no different than he is today, and he will be no younger, or he was no younger than he is today. That he is the I am, and we know through the New Testament that the Lord Jesus is the I am come in the flesh. That even in, in John chapter 8, he says, before Abraham was, I am. And, and, and so this morning, as we're talking about this, we're not talking about Jehovah as in just the Old Testament God, but this is the Godhead, the, the, the three-in-one God, of whom Jesus was the full expression bodily. And he is, or one of his names is, Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord is our peace. Now, just as an introduction to this idea of peace, the, the peace, it, peace is a noun, okay, so this isn't something you, you do or something like that. Peace is a noun, and it comes from the Latin pax or paco, which means to appease, which is really interesting. We're going to get into that in a little bit. But, but peace actually comes from the Latin word for appeasement. And, and so if you, this is just a definition of the word peace. In a general sense, it's a state of quiet or tranquility, freedom from disturbance or agitation, applicable to society. So in other words, if, if society is free from disturbance or agitation, you could say Hong Kong is not at peace right now, right, with all the riots and all these things going on. To individuals or to the temper of mind. It means freedom from war with a foreign nation, public quiet, 
can mean freedom from internal commotion or civil war, freedom from private quarrels, suits, or disturbance, freedom from agitation or disturbance by the passions as from fear, terror, anger, anxiety, or the like. It means quietness of mind, tranquility, calmness, quiet of conscience. In other words, when your conscience is at peace, it means your, your, your conscience isn't bothered, it's not plagued with guilt or something like this, but there's a, a cleansing of your conscience. This idea of harmony or concord or a state of reconciliation between parties at variance. So when you're at peace with one another. Uh, probably one of the greatest illustrations of this idea of peace is if you look out at the lake and, and when there's no wind, it just looks like glass. I mean, just, I mean, not even, right now there's some ripples out there, right? But it just no, nothing at all, no ripples. It's at peace, right? There's no agitation. There's no disturbance. And you know what's amazing? That, that when a lake or a, a body of water is at perfect peace, it accurately represents the heavens. Isn't that a neat thought? That, that it accurately represents the heavens when it's at perfect peace. And yet, have you ever looked at, at like the, the reflection when there's a bunch of waves and things? It actually distorts and perverts uh, the heavens when it's not. And, and, and in fact, the scriptures teaches this concept that as, as men and women see our fearlessness and our peace in the gospel, that it's actually an accurate representation of the kingdom of God. That there's something when you see a man or a woman who is at peace. And, and we're going to talk about what that looks like to be at peace and what does that mean to be at peace. But when you see that or you recognize that, wow, that's, that's a picture of the kingdom of heaven. And it, and it impacts this world. People see it and go, wow. And, and they see something more clearly and, and they see something accurately. Whereas you recognize that when we're not at peace, that it actually is a distortion. And, and it doesn't accurately represent our God. So, go to Judges chapter 6. Now, let's talk a little bit about what, what's going on here. We have Joshua, and, and Joshua and all the men that were alive in terms of his generation died off. And as, as long as they were all alive, and, and that generation, you could say right after them, as long as those who had seen that had come into the promised land, as long as they were alive, the people of Israel followed God. But Joshua dies, the elders die, and the younger generation departs from the Lord and, and they begin to go after the idols of the land. And then you get into the cyclical pattern of the book of Judges. Okay? And so you see in the book of Judges that, that God raises up a judge and the people repent and come back to the Lord. God rescues them from their enemies. And, and they're doing great for maybe 5, 8, 10, 12, sometimes 30 or more years. And then the judge dies and the people back into the mud. And, and then they're back in their cyclical pattern of sin, back of the idolatry and, and spiritual adultery and all these things. And, and then the judge raises up, and you see this cycle, and this happens. You know what's amazing? Is that our judge never dies. That, that God has raised up a judge unto his people that will never die. That he has led us forth in victory, and the one who has led us forth in that victory is eternal. And, and therefore, our victory can be eternal. So, Judges chapter 6, verse 1, and we're going we're gonna to get into this a little bit. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So we see this cyclical pattern therein. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens and caves and strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, many dikes would come up. Also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. And when they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they 
and bear camels without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Talk about the opposite of peace. So they're living in dens, they're living in caves, and every year they plant, and, and, and then <laughs> it's like every year all the people are like, okay, harvest time, let's go harvest the Israelites planting. And, and so the Midianites and the people of the east and the Amalekites, they all come in and, and they ravish the land and then they leave. And the people are living in, in, in caves. What an opposite picture of this idea of peace. And so it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord because of the Midianites, the Midianites, Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not forget, sorry, do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. This is where the people of Israel are. They're living in disobedience because they've chosen to fear the gods of the Midianites. And, and they've rejected that which God has told them. They've rejected the word of God. By the way, the same is going to be in your life. If you reject the clear word of God, you, you will not have peace in, in your life. It's impossible. So number 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and saw the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abrazite, while his son Gideon freshed wheat in the winepress. Now, first off, you usually don't fresh wheat in the wine press, and it goes on to tell us why. It says he pressed he 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 fresh wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. So apparently, from somewhere, he got a little bit of wheat, and so he's back here in the wine press. He's terrified. He's not. He's not. This is not peace. He's not hanging out, enjoying the nice, beautiful day, freshing some wheat with all of his family. The harvest. He's got a little bit of wheat, and so he's in the wine press, not a usual place to, to, to fresh wheat, but he's trying to get some food for his family, and he's hiding, and this is where the angel of the Lord comes. And the angel of the Lord appeared and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Well, can you imagine? Gideon's like, uh, you see what I'm doing here? They've taken everything, they're up in the land, and I'm hiding in the wine press, Trying to get a little bit of bread for my family. I'm not a mighty man of valor. Okay? <laughs> Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which the fathers told us about? Saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you. That's the key. And you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that you, will walk, that you who talk of me do not depart from me here. I pray until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah flour. The meat he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot. And he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. 
Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And the fire rose out of a rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And by the way, uh, this would most likely be an appearance of, of Jesus to him. That's why they, they capitalize the word angel. And the word angel there, it doesn't mean angel is in like a cherubim or seraphim. It means messenger, the messenger of the Lord. So you'll see different times, for example, when a messenger of the Lord came and wrestled with Jacob. And then, and then Jacob recognizes that this is God himself. And these, these are Christophanies or, or Theophanies. This is pictures of Christ appearing in the Old Testament. For example, Daniel sees four men in the fire and in the fourth one is who? It's, it's Jesus. They're in the fi- fire that, um, sorry, did I say Daniel? In, in Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not Daniel. Daniel, that wasn't Daniel, for clarification. But you, so, so we see these different Christophanies. So now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. And to this day, it is still an Ophrah of the Abriazites. So we, we see then he's built this altar, and the name of the altar is Jehovah Shalom. It's the Lord is Peace, or the Lord is my peace. So isn't this interesting? And you'll see this with some of these different names. That here we have this absolute chaos going in the land of Israel. There is no judge ruling. They've departed from the Lord. They're living in dens. They're living in caves. Completely opposite of the way that God intended for his men and women to live. And then here the angel comes in and he says, peace be with you. And there's this altar built there by Gideon. And what's the declaration? The Lord himself is my peace. Doesn't this reflect what Gideon said? When Gideon says, Lord, it, 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 why is this going on? Is that contradiction? Actually departed. says, I will go with you. And, and he recognized that the peace was not just something that God was giving. The peace was not just something that God was doing. But that God himself is our peace. And so here in the midst of his chaotic this altar which is called, the Lord is my peace. And we're going to get back a little bit into that altar stuff in a few minutes. John 14, Jesus says this. He says, These things have I spoken to you, yet being present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, never, neither let it be afraid. You have heard how I have said, I go away and come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father. For my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you it before it comes to pass, that when it has come to pass, you might believe. So there's this place, it's an altar. And remember what an altar is. An altar is not just a place of worship. An altar is a place of great sacrifice. 
right? I, I think most of us would be pretty shocked if we were to go into the Old Testament temple and actually see, because this is, this is gory. I mean, it's bloody, right? There, there's, remember how many bulls was it that were sacrificed on the day of the consecration of a temple by Solomon? Some thousand bulls or something. Can you imagine? That's a lot of meat, right? I mean, we, get, we buy a quarter cow every year and pack an entire freezer. A thousand bulls in this, in this thing, all slaughtered in one day, and right, a, a place of great sacrifice. An altar was not a pretty place. This was not just a, oh, oh this is nice. This, is, this was a place of sacrifice, and you recognize at the altar the reality of sin. Just like at the cross, we see the reality of the wickedness of sin and, and, and the awfulness of sin. When we see Jesus there upon the cross, we recognize in that death how awful sin is and in the punishment that it brought upon the Son of God. And in the same way, the altar was a constant reminder that death was the penalty for sin. And they knew, because the Bible made it very clear, that the blood of goats and the blood of bulls, it couldn't actually atone for sins. That this blood couldn't actually permanently wash away sins, but this was simply a temporary thing as a sign of that which is to come. And the book of Hebrews talks about this. That the blood of goats, the blood of bulls, and the blood of sheep, these things don't wash away sins. It was Jesus, by his own blood, bringing it into the holy place, who was able to do this. And this is the fulfillment of the great place of sacrifice called Jehovah Shalom. It's there upon the cross. That we see the altar, which that's what it is, right? A place of sacrifice where the Son of God opened up his veins, as it were, and shed his blood that we might have true peace. And so I'm going to talk about three distinctive types of peace that were purchased through the cross on this great altar, which we could call Jehovah Shalom, because that's the true fulfillment of it. Number one, we have peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What an amazing reality this is. Think about this. Go back into the old Jewish mindset. And here, they, they, they sacrifice a sheep, and, and then they sin. And the next year, they sacrifice a sheep. There's no peace in that. There, there's no washing of the conscience, as First Peter talks about, or cleansing of the conscience. There's no peace with God in that. This is just a temporary covering that would, that would look forward to that which is to come. And yet we, through the blood of Jesus Christ, have had our consciences cleansed that we might have peace with God. Guys, that's a reality in Jesus Christ. Though we were enemies of Christ, we have now been reconciled that we might have peace with him. What does peace mean? It means there's no, no agitation, no differences, no... No schisms or fractions or... And that's the sort of relationship that we have with God. Do we view our God that way? As though for the blood of Jesus Christ, we actually have peace with him. Has your conscience been cleansed by that blood? Where we actually have peace with him. This is not me striving to, to, to somehow make it in. This is not me somehow striving to, 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 to gain his good favor but I have peace with him. And I can approach him with boldness in that way. As it says in Colossians, for it pleased the Father that in him, speaking of Christ, should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him I say whether they be things on earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated, alienated 
and enemies in your minds by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, that he has made peace through that blood. Now, remember how I said that peace comes from the Latin word to appease? And the, and the idea, what is appeasement? The appeasement is, 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 say there's a wrath of God against us, and that wrath of God needs to be appeased. In, in other words, appeasement is the just, uh, you could say, penalty taking place in order that peace might happen. Uh, appeasement is this idea of, of that which needs to take place for reconciliation to happen. In the New Testament, this word is usually known as propitiation. Okay? And, and, and for example, in 1 John, it says, My little children, these things I write unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is one of the most beautiful concepts in the world. So here's the idea. We have sinned against God, and we are at enmity against God in the natural man. In Adam, we are at enmity against God. And, and there's no peace there in that relationship. There's no reconciliation. Uh, in fact, there is not a relationship there. It's separation from God. And what must happen for us to, to once again have, have relationship with Christ? Well, death, because the penalty for sin is death. Not only death in order that, that we might have a penalty, but, but holiness and righteousness that we might enter in. And so what is required is called a propitiation. The propitiation is the object upon which the penalty comes that you might have peace. So in the Old Testament, in order to have this peace, what would they do? They would kill a lamb or they would kill a ram or whatever it was. And and this is that object that received the blow or received the punishment or the just penalty that they might once again have peace. And Jesus himself has become the propitiation, the object that purchased the peace at the price of his own destruction, as it were. At the price of his own death, he purchased that peace. First John 4 says, Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Number two. So remember, we're talking about three types of peace purchased by the cross. Peace with man was purchased at the cross. This is in Ephesians 2. It says, Wherefore remember that you being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now Christ Jesus, who sometimes, sorry, Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who have made both one and have broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Talking about the, the Jews and the Gentiles, that he has made both one himself being our peace. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make it in himself twain one new man. So making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you who are afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him we have access by one spirit unto the Father. 
But not only has he created this one new man out of a Jew and a Gentile, but you recognize that part of the purchase of the cross is, is that we are now able to forgive one another and that we are able to live at peace with the men and women, so far as it be possible with us, with the men and women of this world. And number three, the, the removal of all enemies. This is one of the ideas of peace, is this idea of the, the removal of all enemies. It says in Romans 16, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I don't know if you remember in Judges 6, but he made this statement, Surely I will be with you, and shall smite the Midianites as one man. And, and that is a picture then of what takes place and, and we see, for example, in Romans 5, where it says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Romans 8 says, There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak for the flesh, God sending his own Son in likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither can it be. So what do we have? The removal of all enemy factions. Think about it. The old man, crucified. The flesh, crucified. Satan, bruised underneath our feet. How? By the God of peace. That we're no longer subject to, to the enemy factions that once ruled over us, that though we were once children of darkness, living in the kingdom of darkness, underneath the prince of darkness, under his rightful jurisdiction, we have been now transferred into the kingdom of his dear son. And we have peace, the removal of all enemy faction. We no longer are subject to the carnality of the old man or the carnality of the flesh, but that we can actually, we are free now to submit ourselves as instruments of righteousness. Throughout the New Testament, there's, there's descriptions, particularly in the book of Romans, actually, but we see it in several books, where, where there's descriptions of our God as the God of peace. Romans 15 says, Now the God of peace be with you all. Um, Hebrews 13 says, Now the God of peace that brought again the dead of our, uh, sorry, from the dead our Lord Jesus, that, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Second Thessalonians 3 says, Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. What, what an amazing thing. The Lord of peace himself. You know that's our Lord. That our Lord is Jehovah Shalom. The Lord of peace himself who, who, who gives us peace always by all means. There's no exceptions there. And it doesn't matter what time or what things are going on or what means it is. He, he himself is the Lord of peace, and he always gives his people peace. The gospel is called the gospel of peace. For example, in Romans, it says, And how shall they preach except they be sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach what? The gospel of peace. 
and bring glad tidings of good things. The good news of peace. Longer are you reconciled or at enmity with God, but you can be at peace with God. That you can be at peace with mankind, and that the, the temptations and the harassment of the old man of the flesh and of sin and of Satan, that you are no longer subject to those. The removal of all enemy faction, peace in the inner man, the cleansing of the conscience. The word of God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. This is Acts 10. And Ephesians 6 says, And your feet shod, this is speaking of the armor of God, with the preparation of what? The gospel of peace. The good news of peace. So Philippians 4 says this. It says, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Now I want to talk just for for a second here and, and remind you of this idea of these Jehovah compounds. Because remember, when we see these Jehovah compounds in the scriptures, it's, it's this idea of Jehovah himself is our peace. And you can't separate the nature of Jehovah from the nature now of his peace because God says he himself is our peace. Okay, so the nature of his peace cannot be separated from the nature of Jehovah. Does that make sense? So, so for example, what this peace means does not mean self-justifying of, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, like the men and women in this world do, right? I, I'm fine. Nobody needs to tell me that I'm wrong and, and, and trying to create a false peace like that. that. That's not the sort of peace that Jehovah's going to bring. Why? Because he's holy, right? And, and for example, how about this sort of peace? <laughs> Got a million dollars in the bank account and lovely wife, little baby, this isn't me, uh, <laughs> you know, everything's good. I've got lots of insurance. I've got life insurance. I've got car insurance. I've got boat insurance. I've got, you know, uh, if I got sued, I've got that insured. If I break my leg, I've got that insured. Anything that happens to me, it's insured. I've got peace. You recognize, though, that's not the sort of peace that we're talking about. Because that's the sort of peace that the world gives, and yet we're talking about a peace that is of a nature of Jehovah. And so the sort of peace that is the nature of Jehovah will always require faith. Because God himself has revealed that, that whatever is not of faith is sin, and, 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 that, and that without faith it is impossible to please him. So a sort of peace that just looks at your bank account, and that looks at the things around this world and the circumstances of this world, and says, okay, I'm good to go now, is actually an extremely dangerous sort of peace. It's the sort of peace that, remember the farmer who, who filled up his barn, and he said, okay, I'm going to make bigger barns, and I'm going to fill them up, and then I'm going to say, soul, you know, be fat, happy, and, and just rest for a little while. He doesn't quite say it like that. But, and what does God say? You fool. Actually, the guy didn't even do it. He just thought about doing it. And God, he died that night, and God says, you fool because you stored up treasure, right? This isn't the sort of peace that we're talking about. This is a peace that, that is separated from all circumstances. Why? Because is the nature of Jehovah dependent upon your circumstances? No, again, Jehovah is unchanging. He, he cannot change. He will never change. So the nature of our peace is that it can actually be unchanging. An amazing reality. That our peace has no tie or no link to our circumstances. So it doesn't matter what circumstances are going on. It doesn't matter the, 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 the things that are going around, on around you, the bomb blasts that are going off. We can have peace because our God is Jehovah Shalom. And, and this is not just something that he does. 
This is the very nature of who he is. And, and when we say nature, the whole idea of nature is that without that, it would not be that. Let me give you an example. The nature of a bowl is that it has some sort of curvature from its bottom upwards. If it doesn't have that, it's not a bowl. If it's just a flat piece of ceramic, we don't call it a bowl. By its very nature, it must have that. In the same way, this is, this is a very fundamental part of who God's nature is. His name de declares who he is. And as a fundamental part of his nature, he is his people's peace. Isn't that amazing? And we can build around that. So in Philippians 4, then, when he says, The peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. So this idea of keep in the Greek here is, is this idea, it's, uh, it's really hard to say, or something like that. Uh, but it's uh, this idea of to guard, to protect by a military guard, either to prevent hostile invasion or to keep the inhabitants of a besieged city from flight. Okay, so the whole idea here is, is imagine that, that we're under, uh, what do they call that? Martial law? Is that what they call it? I forget what they call it. Right, the army comes in and they're ruling and they say nobody's escaping from Windsor. Okay, and so they surround Windsor with a military guard and they say nothing gets in and nothing gets out without us checking it out, right? So, so they're watching at the gates, and, and every time something comes in, they search it, and they're making sure that nothing gets into the city, nothing gets out of the city without their approval. That's this idea, or that's the word in the Greek here of seruyo and, and this Greek word. And, and you, re you recognize that this is what he says. Paul says, this piece of God is going to do that in, in your heart and your mind. Not just your heart, not just your mind, but your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. So what would it look like if the peace of God played that sort of role in your life? In other words, the peace of God says, check that thought. Does that thought have anything that's not of the peace of God? Out. In other words, the peace of God was ruling in your life so that you were literally as a calm lake. In other words, undisturbed, that, that there was just a, a, a peace in your mind, in your conscience, in your relationship with God, in your relationship with the people around you. And, and that the peace of God would guard, would, would take control, and would be the barrier of a protection round about our lives. This peace far surpasses understanding, meaning this isn't just a this makes sense sort of a situation, but we're talking about it in the situations that don't make sense. And of course here, a lot of this is the context of, of suffering and persecution and, and these sort of things that Paul is talking about. So turn back with me to Judges, and we're going to read a little bit, a little bit later in the chapter here. Judges 6, go to verse 25 with me. So Judges chapter 6, verse 25, and we're going to finish with this. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, to Gideon, take your father's young bull the second bowl of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in a proper arrangement, and take the second bowl and an offer of burnt sacrifice of the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. He's not yet walking in this reality fully. But, but isn't this interesting? What's the next thing? God reveals himself. He, he is Jehovah Shalom. And then the next thing we see is he says, 
Go tear down the altars or or the the, the idols, the image, and he he then uses that image and burns it up in a sacrifice to God. So this is what Gideon does. He does it, does it at night. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down, and the wood image that was beside it was cut down, and the second bowl was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, because he has torn down the altar of Baal, and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself, because his altar has been torn down. Therefore on that day he called him Jerubel, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he has torn down his altar. And then we go on. And, and so here we have this revelation that our God is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord who is our peace. First thing he says is, he says, You go, and you tear down the altar to Baal, and you burn up the image, and you, you raise another altar, and you worship me. But remember the context here, what was the sin of the Midianites? The sin of the Midianites was that God said, do not fear their gods. And they disobeyed. And the first thing he does as as, as he repents is he goes and he tears down their gods. And he raises up an altar to worship Jehovah Shalom. And do you recognize that the same thing needs to take place in your life and my life? Uh, that if we are going to truly have peace, and, and if we are going to walk in this peace, of the peace of God guarding our hearts and our minds as God has intended, you recognize that the first step is to tear down all false sources of peace. Now, I'm not saying go out and burn your money or something like that. But, but if there are places where you are putting your confidence and your confidence is in the things of this world or the bank accounts of this world or, or the idols that the world seeks after and the things that all the nations of the world seek after, you recognize that, that you need to repent of those things and then look unto him as Jehovah Shalom. But the first thing he does is he goes out and destroys the image, destroys the altar. No longer am I going to worship these things as my source of peace because that was a whole idea. Well, we're in the land of the Midianites and maybe if we worship their gods, they'll give us peace, right? That's what the people wanted. They wanted peace in the land, no more enemies, peace with each other, peace, and, and, and yet they feared them. And so long as you are fearing other things, you won't be walking in a peace of God. It's like it talks about in the Proverbs where, where he says, the, the, the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. And the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. Why? Because if you're fearing the Lord, you won't be afraid of anything else. And if you're not fearing the Lord, everything else is going to be what rules you, right? If you're walking in the fear of the Lord, you're not going to be afraid of what man thinks of you. So the fear of man, what do we need? We need to fear of the Lord. Be- because why would you care what man thinks about you if you're walking in the fear of God? And yet we're so afraid of men because we don't have the fear of the Lord before us. And so if there's idols in your hearts, if there's things that you're looking to, if there's different things that you have set up in your life and said, this is what I'm going to worship and it's going to give me peace. This is what I'm going to give my life to, and it's going to give me peace. Then you recognize that the first step is we need to repent of those things. And we say, Lord, I'm recognizing you as Jehovah Shalom. I'm recognizing you for who you have said you are. I'm not going to fear the gods of the Midianites. I'm not going to fear the gods of this world or the things that the people of this world seek after. But I'm going to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And I'm going to seek you 
and trusting that you are the one who is my peace. So if we know, of course, Finn, that, that Gideon raises up this army and uh, they're going against the Midianites who are as the sand of the sea and, and un- innumerable host, as it says. And then you see there in, in let's see, it's, it's chapter 7, verse 2. And the Lord says to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites in their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And then, of course, we know that it goes from 10,000 all the way down to 300. But what, what is God doing? God's proving Gideon. Gideon, is your peace in the army? I mean, can you imagine? Imagine, I, I forget what the size of a Midianite. I don't remember if it says a number. But we're talking about a massive army coming against them. There's a massive army coming against them. And, and, and talk about a proving ground. Is, is your army your peace or is the Lord your peace? Did you find it? 120,000. That's a lot of people against 300 men. God pairs it all the way from, from, from what is it, 30,000 all the way down to 300 men. Gideon, who is your peace? Is it your army? Why? So that we can't boast. We can't boast in our own greatness. Gideon was the least in his tribe, the least in his house. Or his family was the least in the tribe, and he's the least in his family. And here, we can't boast in our own greatness. We can't boast in our own strength. God proves him on his point. Am I your peace? Am I the one that you're going to boast in? Am I the one that you're going to say, it was because of the Lord, because only 300 men, that must be him. And this is the sort of life that Jesus Christ desires us to live, that he alone could gain the glory And so I want to challenge you guys, even as you guys are transitioning for the students this upcoming week, whether that's into advanced or, or whether that's back home or whatever this looks like, what would it look like for this peace of God to guard your heart? It's going to be tested for sure. Why? So that God might be proved faithful, that we might see it, that we might know him, that we might experience the reality of him himself being our peace, of he himself being that, that peace that we have not only with him, with the Father, but with other men, and then against all enemy faction. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this reality of who you are. And I pray, Lord, that if there's things in our hearts and our minds and our lives that we are looking to for peace, whether that be financial stability or family stability or, or the things of this world or the applause of man or the approval of man, I pray, Lord, that we would have, have the fear of you and walk in great confidence because we fear you and fear nothing else. Lord, if we're fearing the gods of the Midianites, as it were, the things that this world reveres, I pray that you would bring us to a place of understanding and repentance and faith in you. And Lord, would your peace guard each of the hearts and minds here through Christ Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, 
for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon, live and in person. Thanks for listening.